Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, everybody, a podcast framed around creating the healthiest and happiest lives that we can create through training, fitness, nutrition, and so much more. Today's guest I cannot speak highly enough about. Diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder when he was 18 years old, and years and years of Western medicine, including surgery, left him feeling helpless. When he started practicing yoga, his well-being became balanced and he learned how to thrive. He now shares yoga and movement practice with others to enhance their lives from the mat to work to family, life, and beyond. He's completed his 500-hour yoga training and studies and movement go beyond yoga to Tai Chi, Capoeira, movement flow, bar, gymnastics, and calisthenics. He loves to infuse inspiration from each of these modalities into his classes. Welcome to the show, arguably one of Canada's top yoga instructors, Michael Toru. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. I'm so stoked to be on. No worries. Bodied wellness. Nice. We're so grateful to have you. So maybe you just want to give the listeners a little bit uh, about yourself and also kind of what got you into yoga and movement and teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Denny kind of mentioned, I am like when I was start, kind of 16 years old and then it got really bad around like 18 and 19. Um, I had an autoimmune disorder, which is ulcerative colitis. And then that eventually, yeah, this just got so, so bad to the point where I had to get surgery and I got my large intestine removed and, and then there's some other complications and whatnot, but it just, my whole life was like kind of crushed down. I was super depressed and, you know, I grew up like snowboarding and being super active swimming and you name it. Like I was just out in nature. I was out being super athletic all the time. And then all of that was taken away from me and I was, I was kind of crushed. And then I was on so many different medications, um, because of, you know, because of what was happening to me. And I, I just did, it didn't feel good. And I was like, I just had an intuitive sense that something was off, something wasn't right. And I knew that I needed to do something else. And I was just drawn. It was like P90X. I'm sure many <laughs> people listening. <laughs> it sounds like, Sarah, you've heard of it. Yeah. And I'm sure too. Um, but yeah, good old Tony Horton started out with his P90X and that kind of got me into yoga. It kicked my butt. I was like, Oh my God, like, what is this? Right. And then from there, it just like, it grew with, you know, other teachers online in person, that kind of thing. And then it just became this, this whole medicine. As I said, I was like depressed, um, my mind, my body, like everything, but like kind of like shut down and then yoga just started to like peel out those layers and open things up. So I felt, yeah, just, I felt so much better. I started to find out like who I, who I was truly, um, I guess inside, cause I didn't really know who I was, you know, at 16, 18, anything like that. So. Yeah. And I guess uh, this ties us back to the name of the podcast, which is movement medicine. And I think this flows well to kind of tell the listeners a little bit about what yoga really is, because from my teaching experience as well, you see many people, especially in the West come into yoga with an idea of who they should be and kind of what kind of people they'll see and this Western view of yoga, which is mostly very physically based. And so I think it's important to clarify to our community what yoga really is coming from the um, ancient times as well as how yoga can be a medicine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's hard with Instagram, right? Instagram mm-hmm. and you know, the different social media platforms, especially Instagram, you see all these like incredibly flexible yogis doing all of the the craziest stuff. And I know you and I, Sarah, we like to do some fun stuff, like mm-hmm. do handstands and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, that's not really yoga. Yoga is more about 
yeah, it's, I, for me, at least it's like that inward experience. It's like finding that, like that inner peace and like that is done through these movements, uh, which are called asanas. And through doing these different movements, you start to find, you know, peel back those layers that I was talking about, find that inner peace. And like, that's what it's really about. It doesn't matter if you can do the Swiss. It doesn't matter if you can hold a handstand. It doesn't really matter about any of that stuff. It's really cool if you can. And as you grow your practice, you kind of want to do more of those things. And, you know, you probably experienced this too, Sarah. Um, when you're doing a handstand, like it just, it starts to feel like effortless, right? And mm-hmm. that can be, it can become like a meditation into itself. Might sound weird for the person that's never done a handstand or mm-hmm. something, but <laughs> it kind of can, right? Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're getting away from, and a lot of people are starting to talk about this more, but yeah, yoga is for everybody and like, and everyone. And there's so many different styles. It's, it's funny because like yoga is like lumped into this like one thing and we think it's like all about flexibility, but there's yoga nidra, which is like mm-hmm. literally lying there and like, you know, going into like a dream state kind of thing. And there's yin yoga, which is very like chill. And then there's power yoga, which is like a lot more vigorous. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think it's important to mention too, that, uh, looking historically at yoga, the point of doing the physical practice was to prepare you for meditation so that you were able to sit and be still with your thoughts. And so this physical practice that we have now come to call yoga was really just a preparation for this deeper introspective practice. And yoga really brings that beautiful connection. So for many people, when they're first starting out, their first experience with really connecting internally and with their spirit is through their breath. And any type of yoga you do is very based on breathing. And we have breathing practices called pranayama. And it's really about finding this connection both to yourself, which then translates into your community. And when you look at the namas and niyamas as well, you can kind of see how yoga really is an all-encompassing practice of the way that you live, both in your own body, in your mind, and also in a community as well. And so, Mm -hmm. of course, there's different types of yoga and People do yoga for different reasons. Yoga really is for everyone, but the whole practice of yoga is really this beautiful connectedness that you experience with yourself and with others as well. And this is really how movement and yoga and moving with your breath can be medicine for a lot of people. No, absolutely. And I mean, what actually what you touched on too is that asana actually it means seat. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's exactly as you were saying, it was preparing you for meditation. There wasn't actually a lot of movement like to begin with Um, in India with yoga. It was like very little movement. It's mainly just like a a meditation. And then slowly the movement got added in and then you had to prepare yourself to sit. And I know for me, like when I start out, even when I'm teaching and for my students, like I don't necessarily start with like, okay, just sit down, close your eyes, let's breathe. Like it's like for me, like get into a little bit of movement, then let's close our eyes. Let's do a little bit of breathing. Let's move through. And then by the end of the practice, you're doing Shavasana, you're doing whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, like just mm-hmm. it's like feels yummy. You're just soaking it up. Right. It feels so good. Yeah. And I think that's something to note too, is that many people don't start a yoga practice kind of expecting that they're going to have this spiritual awakening experience. And that I know when I first started yoga, I was so focused on like, all of my poses should look a certain way. I should be doing more advanced options. And I was like, Shavasana, I'm only doing that because I have to. And then over time, you start to develop a greater awareness for stillness and for just allowing yourself to be and allowing yourself to be with your breath. And I think that one of the really positive things about the Western view is yoga is people 
some people start to do it as a trend or to see physical benefits. And then all of these other benefits just happen as a result of their practice. So even though they might not have been looking to use yoga as a medicine or to become more at peace with themselves, just by showing up and practicing, you start to learn other parts of it that you might not have expected when you first began. Oh, 100%. I think that pretty much happens with most people. I'm not going to say everybody, but with most people that kind of get into the practices, more more you do it, that I don't know if you want to call it spiritual. Spiritual is such an interesting term and people can mm-hmm. take that different ways. But, um, you know, like, yeah, connecting more, you know, being more embodied, the name of your, your podcast, mm-hmm. your business, right? Like just becoming more embodied, which is that connection, mind, body, spirit, at least for me. And yeah, I, I think it can help but happen like as i mentioned started out with p90x right and like that whole program of p90x is like has yoga has like weight training has has everything and the reason i started was just purely physical i just wanted to like you know look more jacked or whatever like i wanted to look like den and be big and strong (laughs) (laughs) don't we all but But, you know i think this importance goes far beyond just self-comfort in your own body and it goes right back down to the functionality of just human life i mean there's there's only a few things that we do that are, are the most foundational things as a human one might be breathing another one might be walking and all of that pretty much hinges on some of the most basic movements that we do uh, having graduated, one of my specializations was as a corrective exercise specialist. So as you can imagine, um, as coming out of school, I worked with mostly a lot of elite and professional athletes who were, for the most part, broken in a lot of ways, had a lot of injuries. However, throughout even my practicum process, I was working with individuals who were not elite athletes. And even they, in the simplest movements, such as a sitting in a chair, most people can't do that with any sort of anatomical awareness of your body. And I think we as humans, especially living in a, in a modern society where we are bound to chairs almost all the day, especially in this uh, whole lockdown situation that most people are in, they're working from their couches a lot of the time. And we've lost this body awareness. How can you speak about that? Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, yeah, this, this sitting, what, I mean, many people are talking about this, but like sitting is like the new smoking or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it can be, it can be bad, like straight up. You see it all the time. Like when you're teaching, you know, teaching yoga and move, different movement that yeah, people's bodies are like, they're, they're all gripped up, like clen- clenched up. If you want to call it like that, their hamstrings are tight, their back, little back is hurting. They have sciatica, whatever it is. And yeah, it's, it's one of the issues, especially being home, like during COVID, it can be sometimes like harder to get out of, out of the house, right? You're, you're locked in. You're like, oh, I'll just watch some TV. I'll watch some Netflix. I'll game or whatever. I think like gaming, like I was just watching, this is like a side note, but like gaming rose by like a huge amount in like 2020, right? So more people are doing those type of things. And, but it's just so important that, yeah, we, we get in tune with our body and I, I, there couldn't be anything more, more important, like using, using your body daily. Like just like first thing when you get up, like for me, it's like, just do some stretches, like just like get the engine going a little bit, even if it's like three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, like just move around, like do some funky stuff. Even if it feels a little bit weird, looks a little bit weird. Um, just get lubricated and go for a walk. Like it doesn't even need to be anything crazy, but move your body. Right. I think one actual item that people can take away, especially when they're in this lockdown situation is to make time for movement throughout the day. And one thing that you can do is just set a timer on your phone. So every hour that you're working, 
set aside five minutes for you to do even desk stretches, which we can add a link to this in the podcast notes. And that'll be at embodiedwellnessco.com slash blog slash yoga. Um, the podcast notes, they'll, we'll put up a bunch of exercises that people can use for every hour you sit we'll down. We'll link you Michael's YouTube. Yeah, we'll link you that good <laughs> stuff. Uh, just stretch that you can do at your desk so that you're not completely stepping away and losing your flow state, but you can still make sure you're adding movement into your day. Because for the most part, a lot of people now are trying to build strength, get leaner, um, build muscle, and become active as much as they can on a very broken foundation. And this is where, for me, the importance of yoga in all aspects of life, the importance of moving and also breathing and expanding your diaphragm in uncomfortable areas is going to lead to better spinal posture, better um, chest actual activation. Everything that you do from breathing out of these difficult situations will help you throughout your life. And I think that's uh, something that more people need to incorporate into their life. Yeah, and I also think that it's kind of interesting because even though a student may be very physically active in certain ways, yoga kind of brings us back to this idea of natural movement. And so a lot of the asanas or the quote unquote poses that we do, they're based off of ancient philosophies. And so in a modern day body and in a modern day world, going into some of these poses, people are like, whoa, this is so challenging. And you're almost like redefining the idea of challenging. So you might have someone who's a bodybuilder who can lift super heavy weights and they come in and they find it challenging to sit down into a yogi squat. And so it's really bringing us back to this connection of moving our joints through their full range of motion, understanding how the physical body holds on to certain traumas. And so we're kind of unraveling layers of both physical and emotional trauma in yoga that connect us back to foundational movement and really like what it means to be a human and how we've kind of gotten away from some things that are very beneficial in our physical body as well as in our other bodies. And so yoga really brings us back to the connection of being a human and foundational movement. Well, I think we also need to redefine strength, right? I mean, a lot of the times nowadays, people are so indoctrinated into this gym work and what happens is we now come into a lockdown situation where um, all of a sudden they don't have these structured machines to sit in and do an exercise. And now what happens when we're taken out of this, this structure and now we have to move freely within our own body? Um, engaging our core properly, standing up straight, and actually using our posture as a form of keeping all of our bones and joints in alignment. And what happens is, well, they can't. None of these balance mechanisms actually have been practiced enough that they can do things properly and they become injured. And I think one thing that, one of the most important things with yoga is it defines true strength, which is, I guess you could probably argue, stability in motion. Um, and that is one of the most important things I think for most people in any sort of activity, whether you're even gardening in the backyard, it's important to have the ability to be strong and stable throughout these uh, processes of motion. Yeah. I love what you're talking about. Like, yeah, this is near and dear to my heart. Actually, my teacher, Ian Finn of Blissology Yoga, where I got my 500 hour, he, he says a saying that mobility is the new Jack and he's <laughs> referring to, uh, like kind of, he was kind of poking a little bit of fun at the CrossFit world a little bit, but, mm -hmm. um, but just like, just this idea that, you know, by having more mobility or like, I like how you just said it too, stability and action that that is like, yeah, that's the new strong. And like, if you, if you're neglecting that part, 
of your workout and you're just going in the gym, you're doing, you know, your bicep curls and you're squatting a lot and that's good. But if you don't have like, maybe it's a yoga practice or maybe it's like just some sort of movement practice that's, you know, lubricating the joints, that's helping you to gain better mobility, more stability and action. You're, you're missing a huge piece because if you have that, like if you have both sides, like you're just going to be a way better athlete, a way better human being. I think one of the biggest confusions though, is that we look at all of these people doing crazy bendy poses and uh, we confuse flexibility and mobility for strength and stability because those are two completely different things, right? I can be extremely mobile. I can have hypermobile joints and I can be very, very flexible. It doesn't mean as soon as I'm in motion, I am then going to be strong enough to maintain a motion in a safe manner. So I think that's where practicing all of these asanas it becomes very important. And to be honest, I, I could be better at this. I need to get back into more practice. <laughs> I think an important part is also if we're looking at the strength of your mind when you're practicing yoga, it develops a different kind of mental strength and resilience, especially with more vigorous practices and I guess stillness practices too, that when you're working out or you're going to the gym, you expect that you're going to be putting a lot of physical strain on your body and people take like pre-workout and stimulants they put their loud pumping music they get pumped up and they go and they get it when you're in a yoga practice and your teacher is like and we'll be holding our chair pose for 10 more breaths you almost start to mentally freak out your legs are shaking things are calm and you have no other stimulus to draw you away from the fact that this is challenging other than your breath so it develops this kind of mental resilience where we learn to be calm and to connect in sense of challenge. And so it's building, yes, physical strength and physical mobility, but it's also teaching us to be more resilient in our minds and to learn how to breathe through stressful situations. Uh, yin yoga, to, on, to contrast that as well, when you tell a student that they should be holding pigeon pose for six minutes, some students are going to freak out. They're like, how could I sit still for six minutes long? And so it's, how can I be calm? How can I learn to kind of step away from every single urge in my body that's telling me to move, to adjust my pose, to get up and look around at the teacher to see if this is ending soon? How can we just learn to be calm in the face of challenge, either mentally or physically? And I think that that's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most amazing benefits of yoga is that it teaches you to become more mentally resilient as well and to have that connection where you can step away from stimulus and actually just tune into your body and tune into your breath and use that to carry you through, which translates both on and off the mat as well. You know, Sarah brings up a really good point here that um, I actually don't think people realize enough in their adult life is that after the age of about 18 years old, we don't produce BDNF which is brain-derived nootropic factor, enough. And the one time that we really get that opportunity is either when we're, we're learning intensely and our brain has to create BDNF. But the main time we create this is when we are in exercise and we are being challenged physically. And one of the best times for us to rewire our brain and relearn the way that we think is during exercise. So your point about creating mental resilience and a new way of approaching challenges is actually very, very key here because there is not many times in our adult life that we actually have the opportunity to rewire our brain other than perhaps, I mean, Michael, we can probably approach this in a different uh, uh, podcast, but perhaps psychedelics or um, 
different forms of natural medicine, but it is an extremely good time to go into that pain and enjoy it enough and use that as an opportunity to reframe your challenge. No, I love how you, both of you are framing this. Is that, is this something that I've been kind of like, I guess, trying to, uh, to work on? I've heard other people discussing it and there's different views on it, but a lot of people are talking about like, you need to tr change your, your mindset and you need to think more positive, you know, blah, blah, blah. But personally for me, I think it's like, you need to do it in the body. You know, first you need to challenge the body, whether it's in yoga, whether it's in weightlifting, just like moving the body in these different ways. And then like you're saying this chemicals, different chemicals are released. And then that's how you can, for me, at least I've found finding this, you know, more positivity, finding a better mindset, like developing my mind better. And really the mind is everything, right? It is your body. We kind of compartmentalize. We think the mind is all up here, but like, that's just, that's just your brain, right? The mind is, is everything. Um, but yeah, that's like, it's something like that. I've really been taking in that you need to experience things physically. You need to move the body to create that change mentally for sure. Yeah. And in Ayurveda, we have this saying called the issues are stored in your tissues. And yeah. so oh, even when you get into trauma work and somatic body work, it's a lot of our traumas and a lot of our issues, a lot of our emotions, they're stored in our physical bodies. And you see people are so tense and they have such trouble relaxing. And I know I've seen teaching, you have people who start crying when you're in pigeon pose because it's not just about the physical body. It's not just about stretching a muscle. It's not just about getting strong. It is about that interconnectedness between your body and between your mind. And so when we start to move our body and we move our fascia and we're learning, we're learning to move our body in new ways, we're also moving all of the stuck and stagnant energy, emotions, and traumas. And so when we can learn to release that physically, it's not, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's more simple or we kind of understand how to do that in our mind as well. And it's not always about being positive and having positive thoughts. It's about being okay with having thoughts that are less than positive and not letting that become you. So I might be feeling something in pigeon pose. This is very uncomfortable. I don't need to react because something is uncomfortable. I don't need this to be a positive, happy, feel good experience right now. Can I just be okay with this is a feeling and I'm in this feeling and I have my breath. And so it's learning to what we should react to and when we can really just chill out and take a breath and kind of step back from it and understanding that not everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies all the time. And that is part of the human experience. I think the, no, I the importance of your environment is really key. Sorry to cut you off, Michael. Um, no but like if I were to go to your class in Victoria, BC, the environment that I'm in to have a positive experience is also going to literally change my life. When we go back to the, the fact that we can rewire our brain during times of physical stress and exercise um, to allow us to actually be able to reframe our thoughts. But it's important when we look in other different types of physical situations, such as, yeah, if you are in the gym or if you are at home, when that environment is not ideal, for setting up your brain for success. For example, if I'm in the gym listening to death metal music, or especially coming from an athlete background, we harness rage in a, in a way that we know acutely, this is going to make sure that I can go straight through that guy on the blue line. And it, it is kind of twisted in a, in a bit of a way, but you can acutely harness this rage in order to get your job done. But 
if you consistently do that on a daily basis, whether you are listening to, to angry music, hard rock, or you're again, harnessing that, that hard emotion, you are telling your brain a, a lot more times throughout the day that this is okay. And we need to use this. Whereas the environment of, for example, a yoga practice, the, the environment is calm and the music is relaxing. And it's telling me throughout the day that I'm rewiring my brain to this point of going, ah, relaxation. I can use this calm amount of stimulus and this uh, motion that I can now go into this uncomfortable movement and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. no, I really appreciate like both of your perspectives on this and that yeah, one thing for me when it's exactly true that it's not sunshine and rainbows, it's like, you know, very far from uh, in many ways. And I don't know if, if it ever gets to the point where it would be just sunshine and rainbows, like maybe if you're a monk in a cave, I don't know. But for me, it's like it's like a daily practice, like every time I come onto the mat, every time I step on the floor to do movement, whatever it is it's like having to a lot of times work with that type of stuff. And it's, you know, whether you're holding pigeon post for six minutes or you're, you know, doing some funky handstand to other type of movement, whatever it is, it's like helping you to like, to work with those, those emotions inside. I know for me, I've experienced, um, yeah, even recently, like lots of different anxiety and like just and that anxiety realizing that the movement practice can help like bring up that anxiety and you can kind of like tune into it a little bit and be like, Hey, what's this, what's this anxiety trying to tell me? Cause a lot of times like we use booze, we use marijuana, we use all these different types of substances and things to like get rid of that anxiety. We're trying to shove it away. Right. And like, like Sarah says, the issues in the tissues, like you're trying and then it just buries it deeper into those tissues. Right. And, but through the movement practice, you can like bring those issues out of the tissues, take a look at them and then, just really begin to like kind of pull it out and piece it out and be like, Oh, like this is what, this is why I'm feeling this way. An example, like people relate to like personal stories. I was like in the shower the other day and you know, for me, I was thinking about, okay, like all this getting a little bit overwhelmed with the content I want to create. I want to go forward and just be like more of a creator in the world and in all sorts of ways. And I was starting to get this anxiousness. I was like, I need to get up this my, a YouTube video this week. And I was like getting really like down on myself that I was like behind kind of thing. And then I just realized that like, I got a new camera. I, you know, I'm upgrading my production value and I just need some like time and some like space to, um, to create, like to like learn and like create in a, in a bigger level. But it wasn't until like I had done some movement, I had a shower, I've tuned into those emotions and those feelings, I could kind of like piece it together, like piece out what was going on. And that to me, like that is the power of, of movement of yoga is like having being able to like deal with your shit, like deal with your, um, you know, yeah, your anxiety, your emotions, whatever's coming up. So just tying back what Denon touched on about the aspect of community and environment and what Michael touched on about uh, movement allowing emotions to come up and you to kind of move through them. This is one of the amazing benefits of community yoga. Going to a yoga class is that for some people, when they start to move their body in new ways or hold poses, this might almost be the first time that they're experiencing some of these emotions come up at a time that they wouldn't expect it. And so then we have this aspect of environment and you have a teacher who's there to hold space for you. And so this teacher is maybe they're silent or maybe they're saying something. And so even though you're having all of this internal stimulus, the safety of your environment is there to hold you, which for a lot of people is very beneficial. Just knowing, okay, I'm in a class environment, the teacher's whispering me sweet nothings in their nice calm <laughs> yoga voice and I'm okay. And so 
you have this like safety and this comfort of the energy of the space that you're in and the community and the fact that somebody is there holding space for you that we can then allow ourselves to open up a little bit more. So whether that's consciously or subconsciously, we're allowing ourselves to open into the space because we know that we're being held by the students around us, by the teacher, by the energy of the room. And so this can actually be a really therapeutic thing for some people where they might not be able to go through these things on their own if they're sitting and they're trying to meditate and they've got all these distractions. But when you're actually in that group environment, you have the right environment to kind of curate this experience and you have somebody there holding space. And from a teaching perspective too, like when you're teaching yin yoga or you can sense in the room that somebody's getting emotional, something's coming up for this person. And it's like, even without walking over to them, you can use your words in a way that's going to hold the person. And you can almost like, to some people, this might sound woo woo, but I'm like, I see a student who something might be coming up and I can feel that. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to send my love energy and my warming mother energy to that person because I know they need it. And maybe I'm going to look at them and I'm going to speak a little bit more softly. And some, you can tell sometimes that students actually pick up on that and they feel like, okay. And you see them like take a breath and you're like, yes. So community is everything. And having this space of a group practice for a lot of people is extremely therapeutic. You do have that warm mothering energy. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And that's, I mean, one of the things with COVID that's been kind of unfortunate with like, you know, so up and down with, you know, studios opening their clothes, all these restrictions. And obviously I get it, but to a degree, but it's like people need in a lot of ways, like for many people, they can do it on YouTube. Sometimes they can create a space for yoga, but going somewhere into that container like you're talking about and being held in your emotions, in your feelings is just so important. And as a teacher, like that is a big part. Like, yeah, you want to get good at cueing and you mm-hmm. want to get good at, you know, being able to guide people through the asanas and stuff. But a whole other big part of it is for sure being able to like hold that container of energy and just like be there like that, kind of like that pillar. And sometimes like maybe a storm is happening and sometimes you might have like, you know, two three even people that are like getting emotional and for different reasons like because you're going through a really powerful flow you're like you're opening up their heart or whatever and you just have to like kind of sit there and tune it and there's it's not you can you know prepare in different ways but sometimes it's just like you just have to be there in the moment and just trust yourself that like you can hold that energy and you can be that container for it um and it's really interesting too with my teacher ian like i was talking about like he is like a magician he's you know taught at wanderlust he's one of the usually headliners he's teaching sometimes like when we're in pre-COVID times to 300 people, 400 people, 500 people in a room. He's taught like to thousands of people. Right. And like his classes are so powerful that people are like, like when you think in a class of hundreds of people, like there's 10, 20, like people are crying or people are sobbing and pre-COVID times, like people would come together in what we call the circle of blade at the end. It's like the, every, getting everybody together he's tuning him into this powerful meditation after we've gone through all this like crazy movement together and people are like, they're hugging people they never met. They're like crying on people's shoulders. It's like, it's freaking powerful. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, man. that's the capacity of yoga. I went for uh, sound bathing and this massage and I guess, yeah, there was some meditation involved in it as well the other day. And I came home from it and I just could not stop 
crying <laughs> like this energetic medicine sometimes it, it does get you to that point where you are able to have a breakthrough through breakdowns and I, I think that's something that people can use in in a lot of yoga practice once they're comfortable enough especially guys I feel like they've got the the mask of manliness so tightly pulled to their face that they don't allow themselves to be emotional and be human really at, at the most essential level and I, I think uh, I think there's going to be a large market opening up for uh, men becoming comfortable especially with a, with a male teacher and I know you're going to crush it with that yeah and I think that um, even from a teaching perspective I've done my trauma yoga teacher training so this is essentially working with clients who have been through traumas and they're using yoga as a therapy and so it's really hard to be able to kind of see is this client going to have a flashback are they going to be really disturbed by something and so language as well becomes very important to make sure we're using neutral language but also just like michael said being that pillar where it's like i know that when i'm teaching a trauma-informed yoga private something might happen that might really dysregulate this person and i need to be able to be the energy that they need without being reactive so when we're teaching we're also using our own practice of yoga that's like things are happening around me things are happening in other people and i need to be able to be in myself doing my own mindfulness yoga to be able to share this with other people and so it's really beautiful how even when we're teaching we're also practicing in this in a similar sense as well we're practicing all of our mindfulness yoga and just being able to hold space for people without feeling the need to be react because for a lot of people seeing somebody crying is triggering here you want to be like oh don't cry and then you have to at some point learn like why not like this person needs that release so how can i also practice my yoga to be not necessarily non-reactive in the sense where it's like, oh, person's crying, whatever, but to not have our own emotions kind of be triggered by what's happening around us as well. And so you can kind of see how there's all of these different layers of yoga and how each person in the room is having their own experience. But again, yoga comes back to that connection and to that unity where it's like, we're all having different experiences somehow still in this same experience which is like amazing and beautiful to see as a teacher. It's like experience without judgment. It's like experience inception. <laughs> <laughs> an experience within experience. an experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like how you put that. No, that's beautiful. And it's so true that as a teacher, you have to be like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a whole practice for yourself. And I think that's why, you know, I get off on teaching yoga. I freaking love it is because, because of that. It's like your whole whole practice. And I find that the more that you're embodied, um, that the easier it is to teach. Like, so sometimes if I'm, if I go in and I don't, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes if I go in and I don't do any yoga, I don't do any movement, I'm going in like fresh without, um, and just like, maybe I'm dealing with some of my own stuff. Cause that's the thing as a teacher. And actually mm -hmm. one of the things I was worried about getting into yoga teaching, I was like, Oh man, what happens like when I'm having a day where I'm feeling off or anxious or things like that. But you know, ideally, if you can go into a practice, you're feeling embodied, you've done your own practice, and then you can hold that space. But there are times too, when, you know, you go in and you haven't been able to fit in a movement practice, you had a crazy day, there's some things, your own anxiety and things coming up, maybe, but then you have to go into that space. And through teaching others, it can actually be like a real medicine for mm -hmm. you as well. I've found that many times. Have you had, had that, sir? 
Yeah, I've had that a lot where you're, I used to go teach after school and it's like, okay, so I'm in this, uh, young energy state I'm learning and I'm doing new things. And then I had to maybe rush to get there. And it's like, okay, the first question I ask myself is, is this the space I want to be teaching from? Do I want to be teaching my students? Do I want to bring this kind of like anxious, worked up, stressed, stressed out, get things done kind of energy or do I need to take two minutes even for myself to just breathe and to come down first of all, okay, I might've had a really crappy day. I might be feeling lots of things right now. Things might've not gone the best, but I'm going to at least take some time to breathe and to try to bring myself to a space that I want to operate from. And then even though I've been, I've taught like hundreds, probably over thousands of classes, when you go into this, you need to almost trust yourself in the sense where it's like, okay, even if I feel like I have imposter syndrome right now and I'm not in the place to be teaching that I know once I start speaking, I can allow the energy of my students to hold me as well. And so we're holding space for them, but also sometimes I'm like, I know when I start teaching, people are going to be excited to be there. They're going to be stoked. You're going to get that community and get that connection. And so it's almost like, you're maintaining homeostasis in the room by feeding off of each other. And so usually we're the ones like creating the environment, but sometimes we also need the students to create the environment for us. And we're kind of thriving off of people even breathing together, like listening to your class, just all breathe together. It holds space for you in the same sense. And so it's this beautiful community and interconnectedness where it's like some days I really need my students. Most days my students really need me. And we're both again, like in this experience together and your students are stoked all the time, usually not all the time, but most of the time your students are really happy to have you there. And so it's like, although I might not be feeling like I'm a hundred percent, I know that I can give my best right now and that it's still going to offer what I can offer. No, that's so true. And I feel like community is like the biggest part for sure of, of yoga. Like maybe maybe the biggest part really and like moving with each other. And I remember you posed a question to me earlier too, like what is yoga culture? What is, you know, movement culture? And I think for both of those, it's like involving other people. Like, yeah, you can do solo practices for sure. And that's important. But when you come together with other people to, you know, breathe in unison to, you know, do movements together, like it's just a real power and energy about that for sure. Well, I think it's also really important for people who've been maybe listening to this and maybe they're a little bit intrigued if you want to get into a yoga practice, like what's it like as a beginner? Because I think a lot of people are worried. They're like, they see like from the very first thing we started talking about earlier in this show is you go on Instagram, you see these crazy bendy people. This chick somehow has her head, her leg looped <laughs> around her head three times and Kino she's yoga. <laughs> jumping up and down. And I'm like, how could I ever do that? I don't want to go to a yoga class if everybody's like that. What's it like for a beginner to go and what do they have to worry about? It can be really intimidating and I can definitely relate to that. I think the best thing would be whether maybe you don't even feel comfortable going to a studio right away. Uh, maybe it is like doing, you know, online yoga or something, but you're yeah, finding like, you know, type in, type in YouTube, type in, um, yoga whatever with it is, Michael. Like big, type in yoga with Michael, <laughs> <laughs> ideally. Um, what are you doing yeah, on YouTube I, there? Yeah. So I've basically been releasing a class a week for, since March, uh, class a week. And it's in all kinds of forms. We have yeah, beginner yoga on there. 
I have more advanced intermediate styles of yoga, a lot of vinyasa type of flow. That's kind of my favorite go-to. Um, I'm trained in blissology, as I mentioned, and blissology is like, yeah, this is, it, I guess the difference in blissology yoga versus, I mean, yoga again is this huge umbrella, but blissology yoga combines like Tai Chi. There's some surf inspiration in there. There's some martial arts. Um, it's just like, it's like a lot of fun, just like moving on the mat in different ways, but yeah, I'm, I'm growing this channel and it really, I just wanted to be able to serve people of yoga medicine, movement medicine, the name of this, uh, this podcast, right. And, uh, or this podcast episode, I should say, cause that's really what it is for me. It's like this medicine that I want to be able to offer people because it's so profound for sure. So yeah, come to my channel and I'm actually going to be released very soon. Um, a whole beginner series. I'm going to do like a seven day, um, beginner series, release a video day for a week. Um, that'll be coming very, very soon. So yoga with Michael on, on YouTube. I'd love you to practice it. Yeah. I just think it's, it's so important for people to understand It's like, yeah, you see the crazy yogis online, but it doesn't matter if you're a beginner, you don't have to be flexible. You don't have to be mobile. You don't even have to be strong, show up and just start building the strength because it doesn't matter at what stage in your journey you're in. You could be Sarah no matter what through any sort of class that you show up to there's always adaptations and variations that you can use to further um, challenge yourself throughout any of the flows so nobody should be scared in their first class it, it doesn't really doesn't really feed in everybody's there to support each other yeah and coming from a teaching perspective too in an all levels class we're always teaching to the beginners we're always queuing for the beginners and offering advanced options so everybody is going to start here and then if you'd like you can try this other thing and so it's really beginner friendly in the sense that there is an option for everybody and at any point i know at least in my classes people are free to do whatever feels good for them as long as it's not disturbing anyone else when i go to take yoga classes i've been practicing yoga for holy crap over 10 years now sometimes i want to take a child's pose and I don't judge myself like, oh, you know, I can do a press to handstand. Sometimes I just need a child's pose. And so you'll see people who are just taking options that feel good in their body. And so it can be intimidating to feel like you need to be someone in order to start this practice. But really, it's about finding how to be yourself. And so it's this, yeah, it's a sense of like coming back to and finding yourself in that just being okay with where you are and also tuning into your own experience. Like we said before, like each person is having their own experience. And so it's okay if you're not doing the most advanced version of an asana. It's okay if you need to look around to what other people are doing, take a child's pose that yoga is this all encompassing space that holds you when you're in that experience. No, absolutely. It is. And you know, I would just recommend if people do want to go out to a studio that they had yeah, to search kind of some local yoga studios, find a flow class, um, find, you know, like even like a gentle flow class, find a beginner yoga class. You can call the studios, you can ask them like, but just seeking out those classes and just knowing that if you go to maybe a more advanced class, the teacher will hold that space for you for mm -hmm. sure. That's awesome. So Michael, you're a busy guy. Not only do you have your weekly episodes coming out with Yoga with Michael on YouTube, but you're also uh, getting a podcast together called Raise Your State. Now, first, tell us a little bit about the podcast, uh, who you're doing it with. And then after that, we've concluded, I think at this point, that yoga is one of the many things that you can do to raise your state. But if you could also give us three other actionable items or takeaways that you can use to raise your state throughout your life and this new year, 
I would love that. So first, let's start with your uh, your podcast you got going on. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so the podcast is, as Denon said, Raise Your State. It's on YouTube. Uh, we're creating a Facebook group that we've got to get going still. And we're on Instagram at raise, dot, yeah, raise your state with little dots in between. But um, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes anyways. But yeah, we're it's about in all the different ways how to raise your state, right? In the sense that like tuning the world up. And it, I mean, there's it's hard to encompass it in one little thing. Like there's, there's so many different ways that you can do this. It can be yoga, right? It can be diet, it can be nutrition. Um, it can be just filling yourself up with good information, um, like filling your brain with, with good things rather than just junk food or garbage. Um, getting out in nature. I mean, there's just so many different ways. And that's the conversations that we're trying to have on this, on this podcast. And I guess like you, like you, you guys are raising your state on this podcast as well, like for sure. So we're just doing it our own way. We're having conversations on the couch. Um, I'm doing it with my uh, partner, uh, Alex, who is the CEO of, of Urban Mana, which is a um, energy, uh, plant and mushroom energy supplement company. And yeah, just next level products. But this uh, Razor State is like kind of the, the mantra, I guess you could say, of the company. And we just want to give this as a free gift. We want to have these interesting conversations, bring on people um, who are incredibly empowered and who are raising their state and yeah, use this content to vibe the world up. Um, and three ways that people can raise their state is, so as we mentioned, obviously yoga, but definitely diet. Um, and diet's an interesting word, like not necessarily like, you know, having a strict diet or something like that, but just like nutrition in general. I know that you both touch on this so much on this podcast and your business. Um, and there's so many different ways to do it. For me, it's like, you know, intermittent fasting works really, really well, which is like 16 hours of a fast. I eat two meals a day, um, a smaller meal, and then like a bigger meal kind of later on. So, and that's full of like whole foods that are filling me up, making me feel good. Um, uh, another way I would say is definitely nature time, getting out in nature, go for a walk. Just, you know, it's a walk around the neighborhood. If you can go on a, go on an epic hike. Um, and a third way would be, yeah, read some, read some good books, read some books that are helping you to nourish your mind, not just having the junk food. Like I, I like to read a comic book or two, but you know, read, uh, read some good stuff too. That's going to fill you up. Mm-hmm. I love all three of those. If I'm going to give three things, I'm going to take it back to one of the most foundational things that I said earlier on and starting with movement. Um, I think the three most foundational things that we can do as humans are um, breathe, move, and meditate, which really just means awareness, creating awareness in, in, in any situation that you're in. Breathing, most people are not very conscious of that. I recently put a blog out talking about the differences between uh, nasal breathing and mouth breathing. Movement even if something as simple as walking will get your endorphins going and you will feel different throughout the day. I promise you that. And then the very last one for me would be, yeah, meditation or just simply uh, awareness practice, mindfulness practice of being in any given moment, whether you're eating food, enjoying the food that you're eating, tasting it, savoring the food. Maybe you're having a conversation with someone as lovely as yourself. I'm enjoying this time and I'm truly savoring this time we have together. It doesn't matter what it is, but I would say mindfulness, movement, and um, and breathing would be three things for me. Sarah? Mine would be uh, nourishment. So this is through your 
like Michael said, diet, so nutrition. So really tuning in to what foods make you feel good and understanding the fact that what we eat literally makes up our cells is what you become. And so for eating crap, of course, you're not going to feel your best, but it also is making up the tissues of our body. And so just understanding this, again, connection between the food that we eat, the way that we feel, the way that we think, and who we are essentially so number one would be nutrition number two would be connection so this is connection to yourself this is connection to others this is connection to nature finding things that kind of bring you outside of this i'm living my life this is about me and realize the beauty and the need for connection of us to our environment of us to other people so really tuning into connections that are important to you and how we can kind of nourish these connections as well. And the last one for me would, so both of these kind of include mindfulness, but the third one would really be um, educating yourself and continuously looking to grow. And it's kind of like, okay, we don't need to always be focused on self-improvement, but observing things even. So yes, reading a book, but also just observing noting your environment, noting where you are. So number one is the food you eat and nutrition. Number two is connection. So getting outside, connecting with friends and family. And then number three would be observation and education. So learning in some sort of a sense. I love it. All right, Michael, people can find you at Instagram. What's your, uh, what's your at? <laughs> at Michael Toru and Toru is spent at T-O-R-U fantastic YouTube Yoga with Michael you can find the podcast Raise Your State and again thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us today it's always a pleasure to talk with you and I can't wait to see you soon in person socially distanced <laughs> <laughs> socially distanced thanks so much for joining oh, us have an amazing day oh my god you two are the best thank you so so much mm. thank you for listening to today's podcast this podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution. 